Well, let's get into the word this morning. Let me ask you a question. How many of you this morning have come with a spirit of expectation uh, to hear from the Lord this morning? Come on. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, we have been looking in the word of the Lord for the last few weeks on a word that I believe God put in my heart for this church in this season. It's words called water and the importance of water. And we began by looking at the revelation. And when God gives us revelation, it's for us to reflect on him and on his word. We also then looked at the uh, reality that it was God who drew us out of the water. That it was God and his love, his grace, that reached out and rescued us. And it is important that we understand that that God first had you and me on his mind. It was nothing that we did. That's why the appreciation, as Teresa was talking about, is so important. It's because it was a work that God initiated. And if we ever forget that, we become religious in our approach to God. And so it was God's grace and God's mercy. That throughout the scriptures, we see that water is important. That right from the beginning of Genesis, the Bible says the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. I was speaking to a friend at work, and she was sharing with me, parenting a 17-year-old is not easy. Uh, parenting an 18-year-old is not easy. Parenting is not easy. <laughs> no matter what age a child is. And I was sharing, and, and she, made, she said this word, because I don't want to seem like I'm hovering over him. And right there, the Holy Spirit quickened me and says, yeah, you want to hover over him. You want to create an atmosphere of life. And so when you're checking his room, you're not being nosy, you're hovering. When you check their cell phones and their web browser, you're not being nosy, you're hovering. I said, that child came out of your womb, and so you're creating an atmosphere for what is in him to come out. And so a lot of times, especially our society, we have handcuffed parenting and said, so you don't want to be, be all up in their bit. Yes, we do. We want to hover. We want to hover, because if you don't hover, you create a hostile environment in your own home. And so I said, she's like, oh, my gosh. I said, yeah, you want to hover, girl. You, wanna, you just want to so gently because beneath the wings, there is life. There is life. And so how much more does God want to parent us? And he wants to hover over us. And that's why no matter whether it's one or two that gathers in your home, you create an atmosphere that is filled with the presence of God that can change the environment because you want to change the atmosphere. See, worship is 24-7. Worship is continual. We don't live by force. We don't live by fear. We live by faith. And so because we live by faith, our entire life then reflects the goodness and the grace of God. So how many are going to start hovering? Uh -huh. Hover over them grandchildren. Come on, hover. 
Hover, hover, just hover over them and, and change the atmosphere so that their environment can change. You hover over your children and says, no, this is how things are going to be because there's life beneath here. There's life beneath here. And if you look at the order of creation, God strategically set the things in order. And so from the water then, God calls life out of the water. He says, let the water produce certain things, and they came as God said. They came as the Lord said. So as a result of that, then, we understand that God has a purpose for water. And so today, with our time together, we're going to look at how water works. Now, please let me say that there is nothing magical about the water here. We don't worship water. Let's get that straight. (laughs) Some of you think that, you know, you get this water from a certain thing and you give it. I'm not teaching that at all. Jesus Christ is the healer. He's the healer. He uses us as instruments to bring about that healing, but the healing comes from Jesus. Our deliverance comes from Jesus. Everything that is good, everything is connected to God. Now, he has symbolism of the water that we have to learn about, but there's nothing, pour this on you, it doesn't, you know what I mean? It doesn't do anything. It's just, just water. It's H2O, according to the scientists. But when we understand the symbolism of it, and the spiritual impact of it, this water now has tremendous meaning that will impact our life because it's used throughout Scripture. Does that make sense? So let's take a look at just a couple of things that we can see when it comes to this whole thing of water. So on this journey, I want you to go with me now to Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. Titus, the Apostle Paul is writing uh, this letter to Titus. And so here he is now, um, one of the spiritual sons of the Apostle Paul. And uh, it's important that we understand that what Paul is doing in this letter is he's sharing with us the beauty of our salvation. The beauty of our salvation. In 1988, when I got saved, I thought that when I gave my heart to Jesus, that was the end of the whole Christian journey. It was Jesus coming to my heart. I accept you as Lord and Savior, and I thought it was over. And the Spirit of the Lord said to me, no, Rowan, that's just one door that you walk through. That there are dimensions of revelation that you're still yet to receive. And maybe some of you today, you're stuck on just one of that door. You just stepped into that door of salvation, and you think this is all that there is. But I'm here to encourage you this morning, open the next door and step into a deeper dimension, a deeper revelation of God, and keep opening those doors. Because we have many people that just right here, they're saved, and they're going to go to heaven. It's not an issue whether they're going to go to heaven or not. They've accepted Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross, and they're going to go to heaven. But I'm here to encourage the body of Christ that God believes in increase, and so we're supposed to get greater revelation of who he is. I promise you that if more people got the revelation of God's goodness, this place will be packed with people coming in. So the enemy has blinded their eyes from getting the revelation of how good God is, And so they're deceived now. And the enemy's greatest tactic is deception. That's his greatest weapon is he brings deception to the body of Christ and we buy into it. When you got pastors from mainline denominations now are stepping into the culture that is so corrupt, we know deception is taking its root in the body of Christ. And it becomes cancerous if we don't weed it out. It does that. And so we have to have greater revelation of who God is. Greater revelation. So I understand that when we're teaching the Word of God because of the culture, we have to be able to communicate the Word of God in such a way that people understand that. 
But what I'm challenged by is that we have dumbed down the word of God so much that we don't know what sin is and we don't know what a struggle is anymore. And so we use certain words and say, I can't use that word anymore. And when we take away that word, I think sometimes we lose the power behind that word. I'm not saying I'm a big King James fan. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about bibliology. I'm talking about the power of the principle that's behind that word. You see what I'm saying? So I understand I have different translations so we can comprehend what the word is saying. We want to communicate. But let's never lose the power and the authority of the word of God because we've dumbed it down so much. Okay? If the word says something, it's the breath of God. That's what it means. And it may, we may not like it, but that's what God's word is telling us. Why? Because God wants increase in our lives. And he gives us his word so we can have increase. Okay? So I'm here to say that I believe that everyone that's here, and those who are watching this video, I'm here to tell you that someone say, I want more. I, I want more of you, God. I, I come thirsty. I just don't want to live on yesterday's blessing. I want the fresh manna. I want the fresh word every single day. I want a fresh revelation of what you're doing, God. I just don't want yesterday's prophecy. I want a prophetic word right now. Someone say, give me a word. That's how we're supposed to live because it says without prophetic revelation, we cast off restraints. There's no boundaries. And so when we live by revelation, God reveals his goodness and his grace to us. And it causes us to be better believers, more attractive believers when we live in the components and the depth of God's revelation. God's revelation. So as we take a look now, we're going to see this word and it's in Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. And the Apostle Paul uses this word, and it's the word regeneration. Regeneration. Okay? So before I get to it, let me just read you the verses before it so you can kind of see how the, the, the substance of verse 4 and 5 really, really works. So I'm going to read from the New King James, and it says this in verse uh, 1 of Titus chapter 3. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey to be ready for every good work. There's the word work. To speak evil of no one. To be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But, so he describes our condition prior to, to the cross. And he now continues and says, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior, or as the English Standard Version says, but when the goodness and the love and kindness of God who our Savior appeared, he continues on now in the English Standard Version, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So there's two components here that the Apostle Paul is saying. And then he continues on. Now I'm back to the New King James Version. He continues on. He says this now. Whom he poured out on us. Whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ. Who? Our Savior. So here's that word abundance again. So he says, we were like this, but 
the loving kindness, the goodness, and the love of God, he now saved us, not of things we've done our righteousness, but because of his righteousness. And he used this word mercy. He puts this word mercy in there. To understand this word mercy, we have to then take a look at the tabernacle because the way God wanted us to worship him, there was a prescribed way that God who is holy wanted us to connect with him. He said, if you're going to approach me, you have to approach me this way. Now, if we know that God has all the blessings for us, if we know that God has the healing, God has the deliverance, God has everything we need to live godly, then we're on a journey to God's presence, right? Or how do we access that place of abundance? Well, when Moses brought the children of Israel out of bondage, he brought them out of Egypt, God told Moses, here is how the people are supposed to worship me. He, this, he, he gave them the pattern for the tabernacle. And in the most holiest place, there was the Ark of the Covenant, but there was things called the mercy seat that sat on there. And once a year, the priest was able to go in. Only once a year. We now have access every time we breathe to get into God's presence. But back then, Tim, they only had one time a year that the priest was able to enter into the presence of God. God and put the blood representing the people at the mercy seat and that's how the nation was saved that was a lot of work so it began here with the altar that they would bring the animal the sacrifice animal and they would lay it on the brazen altar and it would be burnt and after that there was another uh, furniture that was right there then after that it was the tent of meeting you step into that, and over there you have the candlesticks, you have the table of showbread, and then you have the, 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 uh, uh, the uh, altar of incest where prayers were made, and then you finally stepped in, removed the veil, and then you're able to get to the mercy of God. Wow. Let me do that again. So we started here, brought an animal, had to get burned. There was another uh, a furniture that was there. Then you were able to step in, move this, give, eat the bread, do the candle, do the prayers, do everything, open the veil, step right in, take it. And hopefully the priest was living righteous. He had bells that was tied to him. And so they would listen for the sound. And if the bell stopped ringing, they knew someone had died. And they said, we just can't just go in and get him. We have to pull him out. That's called the fear of God. And I'm going to tell you, if the fear of God ever got back into the church, the purity of his presence would pierce through every single heart. And people will come back on their face and say, God, you are so good because we no longer have to do all this work in our own righteousness to get to the mercy seat. So Paul tells Timothy, all of this now is found in Jesus Christ. And instead of this laborious act of our own righteousness, we just covered sin, Jesus Christ now remove sin from us so we have access now to come into his presence and worship God and worship God so in the tabernacle the first thing that God did was he began with salvation he went to the cross to salvation and he said from salvation now you're now able to serve you're not able to serve we have a responsibility. How do we serve the body of Christ and the community? And it requires water. 
It requires water. For us to serve Marion, we have to understand how water works. So I told you about the brazen altar. There was fire all the time that was going, and you brought your animals, and they were going all the time. And the priest who was Aaron's offspring had to make sure before they can touch anything, they had to make sure that their hands were washed and their feet was washed. And so they would have to come get it, go back into the water, and they would have to wash their hands, wash their feet. Before they can go any further to reach God, they had to get to the place where we start with is the basin. They had to wash their hands and their feet. They had to make sure that they were clean. They had to make sure they were washed and regenerated. They had to make sure they were clean before they can serve God. So here's a sacrifice that was being made. And now here is how we had to serve. We had to make sure that our hands and our feet were washed with the water. Were washed with the water. So the first thing we see is this. We start at the basin. In Exodus chapter 30, verse 17, verse 21, that scripture reads and explains to us the pattern of what Moses had to do and all the different furnishings that had to be made. And now we see he talked about the basin, or it's known as the lavier. God is very specific on how people are to approach him. God is holy. The washing of the hands and feet were necessary. Therefore, the water in the basin was in essence living water. Because if you didn't wash your hands and you touched the sacrifice, it says you would die. So every time they were washing their hands and washing their feet, it was living water. They can live again because they've been in the water. Come on. And because they're in the water, they were able to serve God. And because they're in the water, they're able to serve God. Because God had prescribed the way he wanted for us to worship him. Now, everything that was outside of the holy place had to be made from the material, brass or bronze, the Bible says. Inside was gold. It was overlaid with gold. But outside, it was, it was bronze. It was, it was brass. It represented the flesh. That's why when, when Nicodemus uh, made the, the, not Nicodemus, uh, Nebuchadnezzar made the image, it was made of brass. It represented the flesh. And so everything out here was all the work of the flesh. Everything out here. And then when you stepped into another dimension, you enter the realm of the spirit. And so here he is now, and he says, this is how you're supposed to do it. And he says, the material that I need for this basin has got to be brass. Now watch God. This is so awesome. When you realize and you recognize the salvation and the cost that was paid for your sins and my sins, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 38 verse 8, that the materials that was used was from the ladies, the women's, the women who left Egypt and took the mirror with them. And so as they were walking and looking in the mirror, they were seeing their reflection. They were seeing all the hurts. They were seeing the life in Egypt. They were seeing all that was going on. God now said, I need that mirror to make something so people can live. And so the ladies, you had to make a decision. Do you still look at the mirror, mirror on the wall? Or do you give it and surrender the reflection to God? And I'm going to tell you that, ladies, that once you understand the work of the cross, 
and you look at your reflection, you see the goodness of God that you now surrender. I don't need to see this beauty. I need to see his beauty. Come on. And so now they surrendered their materials. And this is here, God, you can use this to make the basin. You can use this to make the basin. When you and I get a revelation of God and who he is, we reflect that there's nothing that will satisfy us more than Jesus Christ. You will take everything that you possess, everything you possess, and you will give it over to God. That's why when you were making the tabernacle, he said, take a free will offering. Go to the people and says, those who have a willing heart and those who have a willing spirit, come and give. That's why giving is not an issue of, uh, of money. It's an issue of the heart. Once your heart has gotten a revelation of who God is, God will then pour out to you a blessing that you don't have room enough to receive. Think about it. Two individuals, two individuals can go and you can say, we're going to purchase a half a million dollar home. Forget that. A million dollar home. Forget that. When I'm driving on, on, on Orland Tangy 315, I see estates that are tucked up. I mean, you got to drive just to get to them. There are 10,000, 15,000 square feet homes that are hidden down in the Polaris area. And I drive and it says, God, what do you have to do to live in there? I mean, those are acres right? But two individuals can go and can pay for a multi-million dollar home. Two individuals. And when we come to the church, where there's more than two of us, we struggle to believe God for Walgreens. Come on, you see what I'm saying? It's a mindset. Because when we go to the bank, we look at credit, but when we go to God, we look at Christ. And when you get a revelation of who Christ is, you realize now that in the abundance, it's an issue of the heart. So whatever I have, God, I'm going to give it to you. There is nothing of more value to me than you. There's nothing that, that, that can satisfy me except you. So therefore, the lady said, hey, this mirror, if I keep it, will do nothing for me. But if I give it to God, he will take it and transform it so priests now can wash their hands and their feet and they can serve. And so why, why, why do we, we, we believe in generosity? It gives us an opportunity for us to let people know we're here to serve you. There's nothing more important to us than people experiencing the presence and the power of God, right? And so whatever we have, we're going to give it. Whatever we have, we're going to give it to God. Lay it at his feet. Lay it at his feet. So we see the materials that was used for the basin, it was bronze, it was from bold, it was because it was beautiful. And so this mirror, mirror on the wall is this. When I get the revelation of who God is, it will be reflected in everything that I do. And that is how we want to live. Live by revelation, live on reflection. And here's what happens, here's what happens to the body of Christ. And maybe some of you in here. When God gives a revelation of who you are, instead of you reflecting you retreat or you look back in regret and say, I can't be this. Don't you know what I've done, God? God says, but this is who you are. Yeah, but you don't understand. This is, no, but this is who you are. And so when we reflect on that, we then say, okay, let me line up with what God says about me and not what everything else is saying about me. Because if more people knew who they were in Christ, we wouldn't have these issues we're having right now. It's an issue of identity, an issue of identity. I was, I was um, someone sent me an article about the, um, the decree that President Obama sent out about every school board needs to make sure they implement this rule about, you know, they can go to any bathroom that they want to. And as I've been following this thing, and, and I read this, I'm like, hold on a second. First it was, you know, first it was, it was L, 
then it was G, then it was T, then it was B, I believe, LGBT, and then now it's Q for questioning. So I'm saying, how far, first going to be all that is the alphabet. At what point do we stop and we say, hold on a second, this is a question of identity. They don't know who they are. They need a revelation from God. I'm not being simplistic about it. I understand the struggle. What I'm saying to you is that a revelation of God of who you are can transform whatever lifestyle you're living because God in his mercy has made a provision for you to come and embrace his identity. Right? So it's a question of our identity that we need to recognize. And so when you get a revelation of who God is, it's for you to reflect on him, not reflect on anything else, but to reflect on who God is. And when people understand they reflect on God's word, I truly believe, I believe, I am convinced of it, that when God starts putting his revelation, more people are going to come on and say, you know what? This wasn't a lifestyle for me. That, that, that what God has for me, and, and, and it's not just, just that lifestyle, any lifestyle, any lifestyle whatsoever doesn't please God. They're going to come and they're going to say, you know what, God, when I reflect on the revelation you've given to me, I recognize who I am in you. I recognize my identity. I'm going somewhere with this. Hold with me just for a few more minutes. Okay? So it's important that mirror, mirror on the wall. It's about revelation and living a life of reflection. So watch this now. The location of the, uh, of the basin was significant. It was located between the brazen altar I talked about earlier and the tent of meeting. It was right in between. You couldn't get to a place of serving without recognizing the sacrifice. Right in between it was where God said, put it right here and make sure your hands and feet are being washed at all times whenever you're going to serve me, whenever you're going to serve me. So now let's look at the New Testament or the application of this pattern that God gave what it means for us as the body of Christ. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22. In your notes it says verse 12, but it's really verse 22. Let's take a look at this. In Hebrews chapter 10 uh, verse 22, I believe is the one we need. One second. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. Are you getting something from this? Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, where we need to go to. It says right here. Let me read this. Okay. So it says, let us draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies what? Washed. Our bodies washed with pure water. So before that, he says, we have a high priest over the house of God. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure waters. So we say now, because Jesus was a high priest, no longer Aaron, no longer his children, Jesus now is the high priest. He goes in now, and forever when he died, the veil's rented, the mercy seat, we no longer have to go to anymore, because he's the God of mercy now. And he's saying that now, because he's the high priest, has done it, let us draw unto God with full assurance, Leo. We can come to God knowing that there is no more evil conscience and the guilt and all the dirt that the enemy tries to bring on us, the dirt has been what? Washed away. It's been washed away. We have people who don't believe the work of Calvary. 
and they come every single, and he says, I'm dirty because the enemy keeps bringing up your sin. He keeps bringing up your past. He keeps bringing up your struggle. And therefore, I can't serve God. Why? Because I'm dirty. There's no way God can use me. Why? Because I'm dirty. And I'm here to tell you, no, no, no. You have a high priest. He says, let us draw together. Let us come before God in full assurance of faith. That's what he's saying. And our bodies washed with pure water. So I stand before God because of his righteousness. I stand before God because what he did. I'm no longer living in my past, but I'm living in the power and in the presence of almighty God. That means we ought to rejoice. And every time we come together and the worship team starts, it's not us just entertaining you. It is about you realizing my sins are forgiven. Hallelujah. I'm not free to worship and praise God. It's not a religious act anymore. Thank you. A holy God invites me to come into his presence amen a holy God a holy God invites us now we can come into his presence and so where are the prince of the Lord there is joy there is happiness there is peace now because I'm not living in the sins of my past hallelujah hallelujah so as the body of Christ we understand that forgiveness has come because of what the word says about us the word says that we are righteous in Christ. I stand upon the promises of Almighty God. And here is now where we progress. So after that, we have to take a look now at what it means to be blameless. Because, and I have to be careful with this, I'm not saying that we're not going to have struggles. I'm not saying that we're not going to fall to temptation. What I am saying, though, is what and how God sees us. He sees us as blameless. Why? Because we've been washed in the pure, that's how water works. He's washed us. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to verse 7, it says this. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To do what? To make her holy. Christ loved the church. He loved the church, Karen. Why? To make them holy. Back to the tabernacle. Before then, you couldn't get to a holy God. It was all these works. But now what Christ has done because of his, that's amazing love. To defy every single, every single act that we had to do, Ian. That's some amazing love. And he says that love is what Christ had for the church. And he's now saying have that same love now for your wife. Wow. The totality of God's love. And we're supposed to love each other from that dimension, from that perspective. That because, no, Christ first loved me, I'm going to love you. So there's nothing you can do to hurt me. Why? Because I can go before a holy God. I can go before a righteous God because of what he's done. He says, cleansing her by the washing, of, washing with water through the word. So the blank for that one is this, washing with water through the word. So the water then is a reflection of the word. And as it, as it, as it remains, I can, I can see the reflection. And, and once my life reflects the word, I'm now in harmony with a holy God. I can be in harmony with a holy God? What does that mean? What does that mean, Pastor Ben? I can be in harmony with a holy God? Wow. What Christ did then was to ability to appease. He says, I will take on the sins of the world. And I will be the one that will pay the price and not for them. And they don't have to pay the price. Now, as we close, as we launch rather from this, 
What does that mean? How do I know? How do you know? How do you know when truly you've been washed in the word? How do you know when the water is working in your life? Here's how you know. Here's how you know. Jesus, the Bible said, in John chapter 13, for he loved those who God gave to him. When supper ended, he took a towel and wrapped it around him. And he took a basin, the Bible said, and he poured water into it. And he washed their feet. And he washes their feet. You don't understand it now, but you will. And then he switched as he continued to teach. He went and he taught them a principle that I'm praying will come back into the church and will understand how water works. Now, before, when I grew up in the church, we had feet washing. I mean, you literally had that. You had to make sure, you know, ladies had to make sure they paint their toenails because they know their feet are going to be washed. And you would come and you would take off your shoes and they would wash your feet. And what they're representing, what they were talking about was fulfilling this scripture that Jesus talked about. But I want to go a little bit deeper into that. I want to go deeper into that. Because the reason why I only washed the feet was because they walked in Israel during the time. They had sandals and dirt would get into their feet. And so we still sometimes walk into church because we've been out in the field witnessing and we've taken some blows and we come to the church and we have dirt in our feet and we feel like that is who we are. But when we come and you're washed by the word, you realize I can step into a holy God's presence. Because doing ministry is messy. Doing ministry is messy. Going into people's lives is messy. And you need to understand that you can enter to someone's life and minister to them without getting the contamination from them onto yourself. That was a word right there. Jesus was able to step into some mess. But because you know he was washed in the word, he can step into a mess and minister and then step back out of it. Don't feel like he was part of that mess. But if we don't understand we've been washed in the blood, we'll step into a mess and then all of a sudden they'll influence us, supposed to us influencing them. So you can never step into ministry without being washed in the word. You can't truly serve unless you've been washed into the word. Because you'll take the dirt that is on them and it will come on you. And you have to understand that's not how God wants us to do it. He wants us to walk in the power of his word, right? So Jesus was able to do that. And now he says this. He goes, for I've given you, verse 15, I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is, his, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now let me launch you with this. Okay, how water works. So Jesus says now, the greatest amongst you, the servant. He says, if I've done this for you, you do it as well. You do it as well. So in 2 Samuel chapter 23, 2 Samuel chapter 23, David, a warrior, had some mighty men. God, I pray for some mighty men to raise up in this ministry. David had some mighty men. I mean, some mighty men who were just warriors. Warriors. And they were sitting around and it says he was in the stronghold. And the Philistines were at the gate. And David, just in conversation just says oh I wish I can get some water from the well down at Bethlehem he just I just I just wanted some water he said if I can just get some water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate that's all David said and the mighty men heard that and said we will go get him the water in the midst of the world and they sit and they fight through, taking out every individual, scoop it up from the well of Bethlehem, all because of one word they heard, I thirst for some water. And they come back again and they're fighting, 
guarding the water because they knew who it was going to be for. And they fought and they got back to David and says, here you go, David. This is what you wanted. David said, oh my goodness. What kind of servants are you? I know you were committed to me, but you risked your life for some water? David, that's how water works. You had a thirst. We're servants. And we served you all the way because of your word. It was your word that carried us through. You thirst. It was your word that carried us through the battle. It was your word of what you long for. What is God longing for from us? What does he want from us? What is he longing from us that he said, I thirst. On the cross, he says, I thirst. I thirst. A God who has everything. A God who has everything and controls everything is saying there's a need. Oh, worship. You don't understand worship. God so desires worship. And when you become a servant, you understand how water works. You are a worshiper. And as they were going, as they got the water back, David says, oh, I can't. No, there's no way. You risk your life. You risk your, your, your own blood for this. And he pours it out unto the Lord. When I was serving in ministry, five more minutes, when I was serving in ministry, I told Magon, I said, babe, I've been serving for years. When is it going to be my time? Serve no matter what I was told to do, I did it. At the time, we said, babe, you drive separately because I've got to stay. And thank God for a faithful wife who said, okay, I'm going to drive and take the children home. And I would stay. I would open the church. I would lock the church. I would clean the church. Whatever there was to be done, I would do it. And there's many of you just like that. I kept saying, God, when is it? When is it my turn? And I remember the scripture years ago, and I said, I feel like, I feel like I went and I got water for, for, for the man and the woman of God, and I came back and I brought it to them, and they just poured it out. After everything I did, after all that I went through, and then God reminded me, uh-uh, uh-uh, how water works, how water works is that being a servant, your labor will never be in vain. I kept serving, and I kept bringing the water. I kept bringing the water, and God opened the door. There's somebody, that was a prophetic word right now. You've been serving, and you wonder, is it your time? I'm telling you right now, this is your moment. When you understand how water works, you are about to receive a I'm prophesying to someone in this place right now that keep serving, keep serving, keep serving God. Keep serving God because it's going to happen in your life just like it would happen for me. And so now, we launch you with this. These three kings got together in 2 Kings. The Moabites were trying to attack them. The three kings got together. And the Bible says that they were walking around. They called the roundabout or in circles. That's how they were walking. They had their army, their animals, and they're walking around a circle like this. Isn't that like how some believers are? Just walking in circles. And after a while, you get dizzy, right? Keep walking in circles. Finally, one of the kings says, stop this nonsense. It's in seven days. Stop it. We're not going further. We're not going uh, ahead. We're not, we're just, stop it. Isn't there a prophet we can go seek and get a prophetic word and can tell us where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to do? And who answered the king? The king didn't know. One of the king's servants said, there's a prophet 
And look at how he identified him. He didn't say this prophet was the one that got the thing and all the mighty works he did. He says, no, this, this prophet poured water on the hands of Elijah. He was recognized because of his servanthood and not because of the signs. He says, he's the one that poured water. Now, the responsibility of pouring water, it was a menial task. It was simply that before Elijah would eat, he would wash his hands. And here came Elisha, who was slapped with the coat. You're going to be the next prophet, but had to wait. And while he was waiting, he was serving. And so he was pouring water. Every time Elijah would eat, Elisha would be pouring water. And where Elisha may have thought no one was recognizing, people recognized. Gathering place, you've been serving. Come on, for years. And it's time for people to recognize you because you've been servants. Oh, good God Almighty. And God is about to recognize us now and put us to a place of where we're going to give a prophetic word that's going to bring victory and deliverance to the city. you got to receive that right now. If you've got uh, air to breathe and you're breathing, you got to rejoice because God is saying, it's your time now because you know how water works. Elisha was called as a prophet but had to wait. And here were the kings now who was in trouble going in circles. And he says, we need a prophetic word. Go get the one who was pouring water over the hands of Elisha. And you as a ministry, I've watched you for years. You've gone to other ministries and you have poured water out on other ministries. And you have poured water out on other ministries. And you have went and poured water out of other ministries. Pastor Elon, Pastor Lisa, and all of you, you have poured water. And you said, when is it our time? And God is saying, you now know how water works. Good God Almighty. And there is a reward. Here is the reward. Are you ready for your assignment, Gathering Place? Are you ready for what God is about to release on you in Jesus' name? Is there anybody that wants it more than me, that wants to know what God has for you? Come on, come on. Now watch this now. God has an assignment for you. Get ready for this. I was in my car and I was dropping Lizzie off to her school function. And I'm reading this text. And God said, keep reading I said, yeah, he goes, keep reading. I said, okay. So I went to the place of where Elijah was leaving and Elisha stayed with him. The other prophets were like, uh, you know, they were staying. And Elijah and Elisha walked. Elijah said to him, stay. God is calling me, stay. I'm not going to leave you. This relationship is too important to me. You slapped me with a coat, dude. I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you. Talk about commitment. And many of you, you've stayed the course. You've stayed the course. When we thought this was going to go under, God says, no, 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 baby. Stay the course. You refuse to let go of God's promise. You refuse to, oh, I can just settle. He says, no, I'm going to continue to walk with the prophetic word. You slap me with a code of prophecy, and I'm going to hold on to it. I'm not letting you go. And when you get a prophetic word from God, don't you let go. You hold on to that word, and you walk with that word until it manifests. And so here they are walking. Here they're walking. And Karen, they get to the Jordan. The prophets stay back. Elisha and Elisha, they're at, they're at the Jordan. He takes the very instrument that he used to anoint the prophet. And he takes it now. And he says, we've got to get to where God told me to go. And he takes it and he slaps the water. And what happens? The water, whoosh, and they walk through it. When you walk in a prophetic word as a servant of God, things have to open up right in front of you so you can walk right through them. And 
they walk over and they continue the journey. And now Elisha says, he says, what do you want? Elijah says, what do you want? Elijah says, I want a double portion. I want what's on you to come on me. That's what I want. He says, yeah, it's a hard thing. If you see me go up, you get it. Some of you know the story. He goes up and Elijah rips his clothes, but the mantle falls. He gets the mantle and now he has to go back to the people. You and I, you've gotten a revelation from God. Now we have to go back to the people. And what are we going to do? We're going to understand how water works. We have to go back to a country that is thirsty and that is dying and that there's things they need. And here we have the mantle in our hands. We've got the revelation from God. What are we going to do with it? Elisha walks up now to the Jordan and he says, well, if it worked for him, come on, legacy. It's got to work for me. A generation transfer. And the Jordan says, not again. Oh my gosh. Bam, slaps it. The water opens up. He walks through again. And here's what happened. All the people that stayed on that side, when he came through, they bowed and says, the spirit of Elijah rest upon Elisha. And they bowed in his presence because he was a servant. And here it is now. Once they recognized what was on him and he knew how water works, if you read that continue, if you read that story, they came to him and they said, Elisha, the water is polluted. You know how water works. And so though the city looks good, the river is polluted. And when you go on downtown Columbus and you go everywhere and you can see all the buildings and all the things that we can see all the glitter, but beneath that, the, the, the river, the river is polluted. It says, we need people who know how water works. To help us. He says people are drinking from this river. And death is the result. They're drinking from this river. And miscarriage. They're drinking from this river. And it's unfruitful. They're drinking from this river. And it's not producing life. It's not doing what you said in Genesis chapter 1 for it to do. Who knows how water works? Elijah. Elisha knows how. And he comes and says give me a new bowl. Give me a new bowl. I believe that bowl represents prayer. Just give me a bowl. Give me. And he puts salt, represents the word in it. And he goes to the river and he throws into the river. And the Bible said that the river was healed even to this day. Even to this day. Your assignment, whatever head bowed, every eyes closed, is this. Is this. There is a thirsty city out there. Oh, in the name, I speak to every gift that's inside of you. Every gift inside of you. For it to manifest. Right now, every gift. Take the limits off. Take the mantle that you've received. Because you know how water works. Every gift. Every gift. That's inside of you. I speak to it now in the name of Jesus for it to come alive. For it to come alive. Because you know how water works. You know what it's like to serve. You know what it's like to be washed by the word. And in the name of Jesus, 
I now declare over this church that there's a city that's coming to us and saying the water's polluted. But you know how water works. What do you want us to do?